this thing on? If you like rock music, punk, metal, or blues, then you've come to the right place because we like it too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Soundcheck, the rock and roll and alternative music podcast here at Central Michigan Life. I'm Michael Livingston, and of course, I'm joined by my co-host, Andrew Mullen. And the best podcast. I don't know what I was doing there. <laughs> Andrew Mullen, everybody. <laughs> now, we, now we go over to Ben's intro. What is your name, Ben? <laughs> ben Ackley. <laughs> okay uh <laughs> anyways yes hello everyone welcome to soundcheck yes uh as usual we're gonna talk about music today um <laughs> but first we have some housekeeping to do uh we have a twitter you can follow us it's s check official you can follow me at michael c live you can follow andrew at andrew mullen four you can follow ben on Nope. Nope. No social media. He's a no. pure. What you gonna do when the grid goes down? No <laughs> texts, no tweets. Today we're talking about a very curious subject. Um, probably a subject that a lot of us failed in high school. Um, we're talking. I, I don't think I actually did, but I almost did. So I did. <laughs> um, we're talking about a genre that's pretty close to my heart. Last week we did glam rock with. Ben, and it turned into this awesome narrative episode. He took us through the history, took us through the attitude of glam rock. Uh, this time around, we're going to do a episode um, about math rock. And this is something that it, I'm going to take the reins on. And I'm going to kind of do it in my own style, which is very almost journalistically. I interview someone in this. I give some historical context. And then we, we're going to come back around and get the collective opinions from uh, you guys, because that's the only thing that really matters on this show. So I don't think that's the case. <laughs> to me, it is. Your guys' opinions is all that matters. Oh, I appreciate you, Michael. <laughs> so it's going to be a little bit weird. Um, you're going to, we're going to, uh, in a minute here, uh, transition into a segment of me just giving some historical um, context, some facts, um, everything you need to know about math rock in just about 15 minutes. And then we're going to transition to an interview I conducted uh, with who I consider a math rock connoisseur. And then we're all going to come back here and we're going to hear what Andrew and Ben thought. I created a playlist of kind of the whole rainbow spectrum of math rock um, from its hardest to its most twinkly um, to the earliest to the latest. Um, and we're going to get the collective opinions of what they thought of the genre and if it's something they can see their, themselves getting into. Um, before we transition, uh, what is something, some fears you guys may have had or some excitement you had uh, going into this without kind of giving away what you actually did think of this type of music? Um, so one fear and one, one uh, excitement. First of all, as, as I kind of feel with any episode we do here, I'm usually very excited to get into it because 
I respect y'all and your opinions. So I assume that there's going to be at least something I can pull out. But a big fear I had is that I'm someone who really likes ramshackle, really like rough and tumble, under-rehearsed music. So going into a genre where technicality is so central and such a big uh, technical proficiency and, and skill is such a big deal was a scary thing for me. I kind of relate to some of that, you know, and, and, and I came in, you know, I, I kind of had a, I, for a long time now, I've had a basic understanding what math music is. Um, I, although I really hadn't started listening it, listening to it until I met you Michael and you recommended me some math uh, projects over the years. So I was already uh, slightly familiar with, with, with some of these bands that you, that you put into that playlist, but yeah, I, I'm not a music theorist. I don't, I don't really like, understand a lot of the technical technical aspects when it comes to uh you know making music i just i'm not a musician i like making music so in that sense it was daunting and that was kind of daunting with me coming in here as well as the fact as you know instrumentals this is a largely instrumental genre um those kind of songs can be a little challenging for some people to like get connected to and uh, we can talk about that later but at the same time even though i'm you know kind of considered you know, the punk rock guy on this podcast, you know, it's my genre in, in a sense. Um, I still enjoy technically proficient music. I like prog rock. I like, I love Van Halen and whatever, no matter what you think of them, Michael, I mean, they have a lot of talented members in there and I really appreciate them for that. You know, I love, you know, thrash metal and just metal in general. And that can be a very, you know, those can be very um, technically uh, gifted genres overall so i was excited to hear some you know that widely acclaimed you know you know tech technicality that comes with macrock so that's what kind of excited me and uh not to spoil too much into it but i came out being very impressed on that aspect with this genre so and we can talk about that later but i assume michael we kind of want to jump into uh into your pre-recorded segments here before andrew you hit the nail on the head the big question I want to answer with this episode is do you have to be knowledgeable in music in order to like math rock in order to enjoy it? I personally play the guitar. I I consider myself a okay musician, but I don't know anything about music theory. I don't know what a polyrhythm is. I don't know what goes into scales or arpeggios or anything like that. All these terms that you're going to hear me say in a couple minutes. Um, and I hope you guys had the same experience. I hope the question is answered that, no, you don't have to be um, proficient in understanding music theory or anything that goes into it in order to understand some pretty uh, gifted and talented musicians. So without further ado, we're going to segue into me talking and giving you some historical back background on the history of math rock. So... Before you say it, no, there's no homework involved with listening to math rock. And if you have any idea what this music is, then I can imagine what pops into your head. A skinny white guy with big frame glasses, tight jeans, a poor attempt at a beard, playing an offset Fender guitar like a piano. Yeah, not my idea of groundbreaking musician either. I mean, this is the, probably the most atypical soundcheck episode thus far, but it's possibly the most important to me. I mean, I first discovered math rock when I was in high school, and as the years go by, I still find myself asking, how the hell did they do that? 
Despite all the pretense and she-she attitudes surrounding the genre as it stands, I hope you walk away with the same emotions I had when I first heard a math rock tune. And as a preface to this section, the research I did mainly came from online articles and forums on websites like Odd Times and Atmospheres and FuckingBahamas.com, or from video essays by channels like Let's Talk About Math Rock and Alpha Media. You should definitely check out those resources to get some more context. So, where does the genre, so hyper-focused and specific, so mesmerizing, complex, trace its roots? Well, I guess you could start here. like King Crimson or Rush grandfathered math rock. In an attempt to make more thought-provoking music, these groups used non-traditional song structure, odd time signatures, and influences from a diverse range of genres, all of which are now considered math rock staples. And you don't have to be a music scholar to understand that traditional pop music is written in 4-4 or 3-4 time. So 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4. And as the name suggests, Math Rock introduced some new numbers to the mix, 7-8, 11-8, or 13-8 time. The result is songs that can rapidly stop and start, jerking you back and forth from one melodic idea to the next. It's like a musical roller coaster. And it was bands like Emerson, Lake, and Palmer or Frank Zappa that popularized that style. Contemporary math acts like Battles has cited the 60s prog era as a direct influence. I mean, just listen to Futura off the 2011 album Gloss Drop. We know math rock isn't just an extension of prog. Some of it has bite and ferocity, it can get angry and introspective. Now what genre do we know that has all of those things? I'll give you a hint, it's Andrew's favorite. Close attention to Bill Stevenson's polyrhythmic drumming all over Black Flag's My War, and you'll see why punk and hardcore made a major contribution to the noisier side of math rock later on. I mean, come to think of it, 80s outsider music was essentially the bubbling cauldron from which math rock emerged. The no-wave scene paved the way for more disjointed, irregular, and atypical songwriting. This, of course, prompted Steve Albini to form Big Black, 
one of the greatest fuck yous to the music industry ever conceived. Not only did Albini spit distasteful lyrics surrounding sex, race, politics, but he was backed by that harsh dissonance and basically threw conventional songwriting out the window. So you can see Mathrock is beginning to form a skeleton, an identity. What sets Mathrock apart from other contemporary genres is that it can keep up with the complexity of prog, but adopted the attitude and DIY ethics of punk, hardcore, and more. And in 1991, we reached the benchmark in Mathrock history. Flint's Spiderland changed everything. It had all the math rock ingredients, harmonic dissonance, irregular song structures, odd time signatures, but it called back to its 80s influences with masterful control over dynamics, changing from quiet to loud like a punch in the face. And acts like Pulvo, Don Calbaro, and Drive Like Jehu would continue to carry that torch using the most seminal parts of math rock to create their own flavor of beautifully abrasive indie music. I think it's safe to assume I've surprised you at least once so far. I mean, who knew math rock could have such a dense history? But now you're probably wondering, when do I start tapping the shit out of my guitar? Now we come to what I call the math rock renaissance. And just like Da Vinci and Donatello changed art in the 15th century, it was the Kinsella family that virtually changed the definition of math rock. And Mike Kinsella did it with this fucking song. Oh yes. That sweet, jazzy arpeggio backed with lyrics about a petty high school relationship. You know it, and you either love it, or you want to punch the closest wall. American Football's LP1 released in September 1991. It managed to mix emo lyrical content with complex math rock rhythms and melodies, but instead taking on a lush, twinkly tone. American Football's cult status didn't generate overnight. Before Mike Kinsella was a dreamy frontman, he was hammering away at a drum kit in a suburban garage in Illinois with his brother Tim on vocals, Samuel Zurich on bass, and Victor Villarreal on guitar. This group of scrawny white boys were Captain Jazz, possibly the most significant acts in math rock since Slint. 
It was Villarreal's use of guitar tapping and the band's use of odd time signatures that made them one of the first bands to straddle the line between math rock and emo. And while the work of Captain Jazz was extraordinary, I believe this is when math rock got that sarcastic nickname, Emo Jazz. Captain Jazz disbanded in 1995, leaving the individual members to start their own unique side projects. If you want to learn more about that, you can check out our emo episode. But obviously, Mike's was American football, and that first album caused a seismic wave in both emo and math rock. The harsh and dissonant was out. Sparkly and compressed was in. This gave way to a generation of what I call the Kinsella copies. There's no better way to say it. These were acts like Algernon Cadwaller, This Town Needs Guns, and Mineral. And don't get me wrong, these artists produce excellent and even groundbreaking material. My interview section up next will highlight a few of those bands. However, the Twinkle era was in full swing in the mid to late 2000s, and Mike Kinsella is easiest to blame. I, like many other math rock enthusiasts, started in this era, however. The music is pleasant, it's accessible, and it's easy on the ears. The marriage between math rock and emo is truly a perfect union, and it took the world by storm, particularly in Asia. That was Daytime by Elephant Jim, a Taiwanese math rock group that formed in 2012. They, along with groups like Toe from Japan and Kotoba from Korea, are revolutionizing that clean, pristine tone by introducing some traditional Asian melodies. So I strongly suggest you give that whole scene a listen if you want a different take on contemporary math rock, or at least the twinkly stuff. But just because that twinkly stuff got popularized doesn't mean that hard and abrasive stuff went anywhere. Three years after LP1 came out, Spencer Syme and Zach Hill made a statement with Hella's debut album, Hold Your Horses. Chaotic is the only word to describe this monumental album. Hill's drumming defies all logic, and Syme's agitated guitar playing somehow sticks with you like a catchy pop song. 
Hello was one of many groups that stuck with the heavier side of math rock by successfully marrying it to noise and avant-garde. You may recognize Black Midi, who created my 2019 album of the year, as another example of tinging math rock to their unique brand of noise. And as you can probably tell, this is the sector of math rock I find myself gravitating towards more recently. But if you take one thing from this episode, it's that there's a math rock band for everyone. I mean, take Polyphia, for example. Their blend of prog, hip-hop, trap, metal with math rock roots on their album New Levels, New Devils blew critics away in 2018. Sean, who put math rock on a surfboard underneath the California sun, their 2017 album Homie is just waiting to be in your summer jams playlist. There's Maps and Atlases, who somehow tossed in some indie folk into their 2007 album, Tree Shallows Houses. Finally, how about something local? I saw Detroit Sincerely at a music festival, back when those were still a thing, and was totally blown away by their use of effects. So now that you have the history, Go find something that sticks out to you. To me, math rock isn't a genre. It's a style that can shapeshift into anything you want to hear. But don't just take it from me. I sat down with Romeo sophomore Kyle Smith to get his thoughts and favorites when it comes to math rock. Just as a preface, the audio was not recorded properly, so there's a bit of background static. I hope you can get past it this one time, uh, but it was still a great interview, and we will reconvene with Andrew and Ben after that segment. (music) 
Hello everyone, this is Michael Livingston. I'm now here with my guest for this week's episode, who is my roommate, but before you say conflict of interest, we had this planned way back to get him on to talk about Math Rock. He's a former CM Life contributor, um, but still a student at Central. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, this was planned before we were roommates. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, so my name's Kyle Smith. Uh, I'm 22, I'm from Romeo, and I am a sophomore here at CMU, and I'm, I want to be a teacher. So, uh, and here I am, talking with Michael Livingston. Yeah, so I knew you were the right person to bring on for this episode when I saw a post on Facebook of you with some pretty fucking awesome shoes. <laughs> so talk about what's on those shoes and, uh, and talk about wh what made me decide to get you on this one for Math Rock. Yeah, so um, once upon a time, I was part of CM Life, and that's where I met Michael. Um, and I came in there for one of the meetings with these shoes on that were math rock shoes. They were uh, black vans that had been painted as uh, to look like the album cover of uh, This Town Needs Guns uh, album Animals. Um, I had a, a friend that I met at Orientation paint them for me for like 20 bucks mm -hmm. um yeah and she did an amazing job it looks exactly like the album cover it's I, I saw these things and i'm like holy shit like <laughs> how is this possible that you could get such awesome shoes but yeah right there i was like i text you i'm like dude i need you to get on my podcast to talk about math rock because honestly finding someone that likes this genre of music is so difficult yeah um and you know, I want more people to know about it. I want people to know what we find so interesting about it. Mm. So, you know, first question is, when did you first discover Math Rock? Who showed it to you? you um, know? So, actually, technically, I would have to thank our YouTube overlords. The recommendations were on point. Um, but I wasn't ready for it then. This was when I was, like, in middle school. Um, and TTNG Animals came up. It's funny that we were talking about that. Mm -hmm. um, and I listened to it, and I just didn't get it at that time. I was, wasn't ready. And then fast forward past high school, and I go over to my buddy's apartment, and his roommate was a huge math rock fan. Um, and so we got to talking about music and stuff like that one night, and he just brought up that I should listen to them. And I told them, I said, I listened to them before, but I'll give it another listen. And for some reason, something just clicked. Mm -hmm. And I was just hooked. That was like, that was the gateway drug. See, it's so <laughs> interesting you say you found it through a YouTube recommendation because I feel like that's how it's getting around these days. Yes. People follow really great guitarists on Instagram mm -hmm. or they'll be searching YouTube for some interesting music and they'll hear, you know, or see, watch these guitarists perform mm -hmm. some really complicated playing, mm -hmm. and they'll think like, I've never heard this before, I've never heard this style of guitar playing before, what's right. all this tapping, what's all this weird mm -hmm. things they're doing you know, with the guitar, and why is there a capo on it, all that stuff. Yeah. And before we progress further, you gotta tell me what your favorite song is on Animals. Oh, man, I gotta go with Panda. The first time I listened to that song, I kept listening to it, and I couldn't finish the album. Uh, 
just see that's an underrated pick for me it's yeah. badger badger is another great yeah. one that that drum uh where it's just the drum and like the bass and the guitar mm-hmm. for like a minute like the interlude like in the middle of the song is just so soothing i don't know What do you think of the uh, the remake, the acoustic remake? Oh, amazing! Yeah, and it's like reimagined, so it's not like uh, a cheap trick. You know, it's like a completely new song almost in and of itself. Yeah, um, yeah, I love that album, and I'm glad that they got Stu to come back and do that. Stuart Smith, the lead singer. Yeah. So, what was going through your mind when you first heard that type of music? You know, what what hmm. part elements of the music stood out to you, and what parts did you enjoy the most? So, as you mentioned. Uh, the first thing was the finger tapping. Um, I had never really seen that much. Occasionally, maybe like some Van Halen type of thing. Yeah. Van Halen would do a little bit of that, or maybe like Jimi Hendrix and stuff, but it just wasn't that common. And even, you know, when artists like them are using it, it's nothing like it was now. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that that really stuck out to me, but of course, it's just... You can just tell there's a lot going on. It's very complex, and I think at first it can sound just like a wall of sound, you mm-hmm. know, and it's hard to really figure out what's going on. But as you really listen more and more, you, you start to pick out the melody and the rhythm and stuff like that and how it all comes together, and, and then it clicks. And right. I think that's what happened to me at first. When I first listened to Animals a long time ago, I was like, man, this is a lot to take in, like sensory overload, you know? Right. And then. And then eventually you you sort of you take the time to almost like classical music like mm-hmm. you figure it out as you listen so you mentioned van halen because i think another element of math rock is it's a relatively new genre or at least mm-hmm. the modern interpretation of it mm-hmm. and i think a lot of the older generation will have a hard time listening to it at first they're thinking you know what are they doing on guitar right now like right. do they even know how to play or are they just randomly hitting notes yeah. and you mentioned eddie van halen which for many of that older generation is their guitar god mm-hmm. and like you know i or have like to santana ass- yeah and i have to assume that like a lot of these math rock guitarists are inspired by that really fast really like over the top almost style guitar playing mm-hmm. do you think that's true i think so um and it's actually a good question because I'm sure at some point we're going to start talking about like the cornerstone and like the history of the genre. Mm-hmm. And so it does make me wonder if if any of these artists that are in the math rock genre, if they would say that Van Halen or Santana or something like that were in, uh, influences. Right. Well, you don't know this, but right before this segment of interview, I kind of give a little history on it. And I found out that, you know, early kind of... Uh, figures in prog rock like king King crimson or rush Mm. um you know started it with kind of the polyrhythmic weird time signature sort of thing yeah but for you how far back do you go in history when it comes to math rock what's the band that you think started it all oh so i'm I'm gonna i might get burned at the stake or something it depends on who you ask but uh american football yeah i would say that's a perfectly legitimate answer just like they're almost like the nirvana of the of the of the genre in terms of sort of same time-ish and also like every band that you listen to it's almost like they always reference it or or mention Mm. 
either that band or their album that they came out with so you think it's because they kind of had an open interpretation of math rock they mixed it with indie rock emo yes. you know things of that sort yeah so it was like a mixture of genres um american football with emo elements and indie elements um and of course introducing like the math rock into that um was just a really cool unique sound um and I think that makes it really accessible for a lot of people because they hear familiar, like sounds they're already familiar with when they're listening to it. And so it makes the math rock element more accessible. Um, and so I, I'm a big Jimmy Eat World fan and they're like a quintessential emo band. Right. Um, and American football in a lot of ways really reminded me, especially like the twinkly notes yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. and stuff like that of like clarity. Um, Clarity being one of the, uh, like the second album of Jimmy World of their discography. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I, I think that really played a big role in then shaping everything that came after it. Mm -hmm. um, you like with uh, this town needs guns, especially on animals. There's that emo influence you can hear, um, and even. Um, or of course, like in, in other in other bands, there's definitely the more indie influence. Yeah. Um, but either way, it's I think you can all trace like back the lineage mm -hmm. to like they're like the Adam and Eve kind of. Right. Right. <laughs> but like I feel like that's how a lot of people discover math rock is like it's not a straight um, band trying to experiment with polyrhythms. It's someone who's right. mixing it and trying to put it in a more of a pop music sort of way like mm -hmm. at least a pop structure so you know people can sing along to it or something yep. like that and all of the bands we've mentioned so far which is mainly you know <laughs> TTNG and American Football mm -hmm. are vocal uh, math rockers which is yes. not common right um, a lot of it's instrumental yeah so you know what is your favorite instrumental math rock band if you have one or one that kind of sticks out to you so that was big for me was the the vocals because I had listened to some instrumental math rock and I just wasn't ready for it. As was I that was that a that was a problem for you at first? Yeah, the lack at first. Of vocals? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but then as I listened to it with like the lyrics and then of course, you know, TTNG they have a couple instrumental songs, um, and so when that's like, you sort of like wade into it a little bit and you go, oh, I get it, and then you do branch out and listen to um, other stuff like like an instrumental only um i think tom story is mm. instrumental only um i haven't listened to them a lot but yeah uh their self-title is really good and i don't remember any lyrics okay. being on that yeah um, i saw you were getting into covet recently and too. then covet is almost exclusively instrumental they have a, a couple songs that are like exceptions to that rule mm -hmm. but it's mainly instrumental so do you feel like that's a problem for other people like I, when i think about it you know, and I'm with my podcasters in the mm -hmm. next segment, like guys like Ben and Andrew might think there's no lyrics, there's nothing I can sing along to, this is a problem for me. Mm -hmm. um, on top of that, mm. the instrumentals, it takes a while for it to be like catchy for some people because it kind of throws you back and forth, right. throws you in so many different directions. Mm -hmm. it, it's more closer to listening to jazz than it is like yes. your standard music. Right. Um, so, I mean, you said that was a problem for you. Do you think, feel like that's a problem for other people, too? Yeah, and that's why I always recommend TTNG. I try to recommend what I think would be most accessible mm -hmm. um, to them, to the genre. Yeah. Um, and then if they, if they really like it, they might branch out and they might listen to some of the instrumental stuff and um, they might find enjoyment in that. But it's definitely more jazz, I would say, um, 
it's not like your typical radio song structure that you would right. you know think right and and the big question i think i want to answer on this podcast is do you have to be like a music nerd a music enthusiast like or a, a musician or a musician yeah. to be into math rock um i mean it's a it's definitely i was thinking about this and i think my answer would be that it would help but you don't have to Mm. Um, I think a musician would, like you said, I'm not a musician, right. so I don't know all the technical terms. And so if I do use some of them, I might use them the incorrect way. Right. Um, but yeah, you talked about polyrhythms and, you know, you can talk about just uh, the interesting ways that, you know, the interesting melodies um, and harmonies and stuff like that that are atypical. Right. Um, and different, um, you know, like 4-4 four, four or... Um, you know, just different, like, rhythms and stuff like that, mm -hmm. um, beats and stuff. I th like, I think a musician would be able to pick up on that, yeah. and they would be able to identify it and literally point it out, and that might add to their enjoyment, like, their experience, because it's like, wow, like, I've never even thought of trying to play something like this, you know? Mm -hmm. um, versus somebody else who listens maybe more for enjoyment, they really need that hook. They need um, to be able to find like you said, like something to sing along to might be very important for them. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think I feel the same way, which is why I've come to listen to instrumental math rock and I appreciate it and I enjoy a lot of it. But most of my time listening to the genre is gonna be like lyrics. Right, which, yeah. which leads into this. Let's start playing uh, on the podcast. We're gonna play some of the music you recommend. So okay. what, are your, what is your favorite math rock group? Oh, my favorite. Oh, man. Um, even though they haven't released anything in the past few years, um, I'd still have to go with uh, This Town Needs Guns. It's my favorite. Yeah. Now, it's a little bit of a difficult recommendation because they've had lineup changes, and um, their lead singer, Stu, he left to right. you know work on family stuff, I think it was. And then so... Um, their current lead singer, I can't think of the name off the top of my head, um, but he's taken over. Mm -hmm. And so, that's a huge sound shift. Not that he's not talented, and like I, I love the albums that they've done with their new lead singer, who was in the band with Stu also, so it's not like he was some totally new guy. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it, it might make it a bit of a difficult recommendation because they'll listen to Animals and then they'll listen to like their album 13, mm -hmm. um, and it's two lead singers, two different lead singers, and they'll it might be a little confusing or they might not right. like the one of the other sounds so we won't keep the whole conversation on ttng though but i do want to mention yeah. um seeing a math rock band live mm. um have you ever done that before no and i want to i really i'm waiting for them to i mean coronavirus ruined a lot of this obviously yeah, of course but yeah i mean obviously i'd, I'd want to see my favorite but there's a lot of math rock I know, bands I, i'd want to see i mean i have got a whole list here of different bands yeah. um, that i thought of, i may talk about and so. unfortunately i got to it first because i actually did see ttmg <laughs> oh man yeah. i know and you rubbed would, it in i know ttmg john uh trico was there too um oh, yeah. I'll, I'll mention that but yeah i I mean, of course you can imagine, because you, of course you've probably seen math rock bands play on YouTube, just like yeah. live and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, the characteristic I get when performing that music is it's energetic, 
but the band doesn't move. I mean, they're so focused right. on playing these intricate parts. Yes. Um, so a live experience would possibly be different than seeing like you know your favorite pop punk band or something like yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. So or, you know, th their stage presence is going to be a lot different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I yeah. think so too. Because like you said, I've only ever seen them play live, quote unquote, on on YouTube videos and stuff. Right. Right. Um, and and when you do that. I mean, obviously, when I went to that show, um, there was moshing. People were moving. People were grooving. But, like, um, you have to take a while to just stop and, like, kind of admire that playing because it's, mm. it, you know, they're, they're, one, have to do that type of playing every night when they're on tour. Right. And, two, you know, uh, making those songs, putting them together, um, yeah, probably takes just so much time and so much oh, musical theory and just a, a really expansive understanding of what goes into creating a right song. and like i think you could say the same thing about like the band tool because i yeah. know i know they incorporate quite a lot of these sort of same elements into their music it's just not the result isn't really math rock it's something else right but, and that's what people have to realize is what makes um a song math rock and what makes it just a song with a different time signature right what do you think the answer to that is i think you really have to just sort of look at all the elements like combined like the whole um because like i was going to mention dance gavin dance and i was going to say they're they have a math rock influence but they're not math rock okay. they're like post-hardcore you know more like that genre uh -huh. uh, with the screaming and everything the harsher vocals uh -huh. um but if you listen to like the guitar work you can tell that there's a lot of math rock influence behind it um but they're not math rock um at least not what someone would consider like typically math rock um but yeah, I think it's really um, that that's almost asking like what like is something rock and roll because it has a guitar and drums. You know, it's like you could almost say that about like, any genre, and that's like a a philosophical question I wasn't ready to try and answer. That's a really good question. Yeah, and that's what something I'm hoping to answer on this podcast because it comes in so many flavors. You yes. know, like we're mainly talking about stuff that's kind of tinged with math rock it's uh, but it also has an indie influence or an emo influence and you're talking about a band like tool which is obviously a metal or, pro or prog rock band yes. but can have math rock elements and then in a playlist that i'm going to put out to the listeners you know i include um bands that are completely synth based that mm -hmm. are considered math rock mm -hmm. there's no guitar involved at all right or a band that is you know, chugging really noisy and almost noise rock to a degree, mm -hmm. um, but is still considered math rock in a way. Mm -hmm. So the whole point is to try to clear up that de that really loose definition. Right. And for you, it comes through in these bands like TTNG, American Football, where mm. you know it's it's this it's almost tonal in a way. Yes. Because it's it's the tone is clean, usually. Mm -hmm. It's um, there's often sparing use of overdrive, at least in the bands you're talking about. Mm -hmm. But talk about Gance, Dance Gavin Dance a little more, because um, so, that's a band I'm unfamiliar with. If I, you know, they, they have a long discography and they've had three lead singers. Um, so I'll just try to point to. I actually wrote it down here. Mm -hmm. The two albums that I thought the math rock influence was most obvious. Yeah. Their jazziest record is, or records would probably be Happiness. Um, and downtown Battle Mountain Two, um, and again, really the the math rock influence comes across mainly in the guitar work. Now, the interesting thing is that 
the guitar work in, in that is going to be more metal sounding. It's not going to be like those twinkly kind of mm-hmm. emo chords or yeah. um, uh, tones or whatever that we hear, as you were saying, in American football um, and TTNG. Yeah. Uh, but if you, especially if you watch Will Swan, the guitarist, you can tell like that jazz almost influenced that mm-hmm. willingness to experiment and push the boundaries of what like of the norm so to speak that we've all become accustomed to right. um so yeah if, if i had to talk about their most math rocky uh, albums it would be those two happiness and downtown battle mountain too So let's move away from the music some more and talk about like the public reaction to it as a genre. Mm-hmm. When you show people math rock, what's usually their first reaction? Oh man, so like you know, I've whenever I go home and hang out with my buddies from high school, um, and we have like a, a big get together, um, you know, someone's always in charge of the tunes uh, at the party, and usually I recommend. Uh, a math rock song from either one of the bands that we've talked about or um, something else and uh, one of my friends Dalton he is very much you know a music nerd as you might say um, and he, he loves music he plays the drums and he really gets that genre and he, he really enjoys it so he loves it is that the friend you mentioned early on yes yeah, yeah. Um, um, and so but the, the everyone else um, it's not like, I don't think they would say like, oh, turn this off, it's horrible, you know? It's not like that, but they they would just wait for, probably for the song to end. Mm-hmm. And then like, okay, let's play something else now, you know? Sure, sure. Um, I think that that's usually been like the kind of reception to it. Right. So do you think it has a future in, you know, pop culture, I should say? Mm-hmm. Or like, will it ever get to the point of a genre like like rap or hip hop or something like that. I mean, right. It's it's wishful thinking, I think. Well, you saw that with the, punk, right? Because yeah. the original punk rockers were like a very like underground um, sort of scene, I feel like. And then pop punk brought some of those elements mm-hmm. um to like the forefront. Uh, and then, you know, that's when you see like Blink 182 just explode, you know, and you know, they're not really punk, but so maybe we'll see something similar with math rock where um i think you already see it with ttng not to keep harping on them right but the reason why i think they're so important is because they're accessible right. um and i think that by and large they've been one of the most it, it shows because they've been one of the most like commercially successful yeah i groups. think another one of those groups could be polyphia too yes um yep you know with uh, tim as a guitarist he's also a figure like a personality right. rather than just the the instrumentalist of a certain band but like mm-hmm. for me i think it's going to start with these social media influencers the, the youtubers and the instagrammers that are you know, they jump on there, they set up their phone, they start recording themselves playing this intricate little riff, and it's only mm-hmm. like 20 seconds and then they're done. Yes. You know who's, you ever heard of Ichika Nito? 
Um, yes. Yeah. yeah, he's one of those guys. Like he, mm-hmm. he's on YouTube. He plays like thirty second little songs, mm-hmm. but people go crazy over it. I think you can find him on Spotify under Nito, right? Yeah, he's got a few yeah. like you know projects out there. Right. But the fact that he's an influencer as well, like he's mm-hmm. interacting with all of those music YouTubers on there and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's what's going to, I think, set math rock, hopefully in a, a little more mainstream sense. Right. Um, I mean, that being said, though, if it does become mainstream, are you going to feel like, oh, well, now it's not my thing anymore? Yeah, I mean, like, it, well, I guess my question would be, like, I wouldn't really judge it so much on if it's popular, but it makes you wonder what they changed or what's changed to make it popular. And if those changes are significant, mm-hmm. you know, do I not really like that? Yeah. Um, as opposed to you know sort of the predecessor groups or like the more underground groups um because sometimes a willingness to not be popular is part of that willingness to experiment and do some crazy stuff that i might like you know um but yeah i mean it's i i think that like you said i think it's the youtube is really where it's kind of launching from right now um and like maybe like soundcloud and you know a, a couple other like typical places uh they um like you'll, I'll watch like a a gaming like a streamer or something, and they might happen to play a song. Like I can't think of a specific example, but like they'll play a song, and I'll go to that song, and there's like a thousand comments from people like, "Oh, here from so and so stream," you know, and like I, th- if that kind of stuff can can happen to like math rock songs or like less popular, lesser known groups, um, and like that attention can sometimes be the tipping point um, to them getting out into like uh, the mainstream. So. Awesome. To end this interview, I'm going to go back to that big question, which is, can any, anybody get into math rock? What do you think? Oh, definitely. Um, right here, I mean, I've got, uh, there's a band called Chinese Football. So, I mean, you're starting to see the scene on the internet, like, branch out, like, all over the world. Kind of make fun of itself, in a way. Right, you have Chinese yeah, football like, like a self-awareness type yeah. of thing. Um and then there's uh, some Japanese groups, like, I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation, but Jayoko and Uchu Konbini, um, they're instrumental. Well, the second one is, actually, no, they have lyrics on them, now that I think about it, but, but either way, like, those are, like, math rock groups that are, like, outside of the United States. Um, I think that, basically, it's just a willingness for people, like, people like to listen to what they're familiar with. Um, but I think eventually people will either late at night on the YouTube, you know, recommendations, decide to click on something they would normally never listen to. And that's kind of what happened to me in some way. And then, like, your the rest of your music listening has changed forever just yes. from that one decision. Then it's your thing. Yeah, so I think interviews like this are super important because it exposes people to something they might not be familiar with, something that they're not, um, that they're... They, they may not, not even heard of before, you know? And they, uh, I urge everyone to go and check out these bands. I mean, whether it's the the Cabs, which is another Japanese group, actually, American Football, like we talked about, um, or, or bands that kind of incorporate those elements but aren't math rock. Even, like, that's totally cool, too, like Tool or Dance Gavin Dance. Um, so, yeah, I think anybody can get into it. You just have to try. Yeah. If you were to end this segment with any song, what would it be? Any math rock song? Any math rock song? Oh man, am I am I gonna pick Never Meant? 
<laughs> that is always an option. I'm picking it because it's a meme now. Yes, awesome. <laughs> All right, now we're going to get over to Ben and Andrew and end this podcast out with uh, the usual suspects. everyone welcome back we're back with the boys we're back with andrew and ben uh the usual suspects here and we're going to talk about what they enjoyed from this genre um we can i don't know who wants to start in this i know i'm first on the playlist but i want to hear from you guys on listening to this playlist what you thought was the best what you thought was the worst um maybe ask some questions if you're confused i don't know what do you guys want to do Go first. Go first. Yeah, you go for it. All right. So, uh, like I said, kind of earlier in our introduction, um, I kind of knew some of these bands. You know, I knew. um, In fact, actually, I know. For instance, in Hidden the Mitten, we we talked about uh, the band. Was it uh, the band Sincerely, Michael? Yes. My record, not correctly. We talked about Sincerely. Uh, I know in our uh, decade recap episode, Michael, we we all actually all talked at length about uh, Black Meaty's debut record, which uh, we had a song featured in this playlist, and Mm -hmm. I really like Black Meaty. But the idea of math rock, you know, I again, I'd heard some of the, you know, some of the stuff in the Midwest, Midwest uh, emo scene. I'd heard some of those bands that Michael brought up to me. But again, a lot of this was pretty new to me. So um, overall, I was rather impressed. I came out enjoying uh, this this music a lot. Um, I did. I was torn on certain aspects of it, but it. I, I know, and, and this is actually something I wanted you to answer for me, Michael, if you don't mind, because uh, I know, like, maybe you kind of explain it, um, you know, in kind of h- historical, you know, context section. But when when it cut, I've heard like so much stigma kind of thrown to math rock, like it's like a whatever. Because I know sometimes when you brought up like instrumental math rock in the episode, you're like, yeah, I know it's instrumental math rock, but like to me, like you can no matter what you can say about the genre and you know there probably are legitimate criticisms of it overall i you can't deny the uh, technical proficiency that this music brings i kind of found myself you know almost you know entranced by this you know you're hearing all these crazy different time signatures and these angular rhythms stuff you just don't hear in traditional pop music or even a lot of the music that we listen to you know most music is put into four four time signature so hearing you know something you delivered music delivered in such a different way was captivating it was very impressive and i found myself really enjoying it sometimes i did feel a little bit of a disconnect with the music but again i kind of want to talk about that later but michael why do you think there's this kind of weird you know um a time like this weird like uh i guess stigma associated with math rock one i think is because it's newer um 
while the roots of this genre can be traced back to bands like uh, from the prog rock era, you know, Granite, uh, King Crimson, Rush, etc., um, the modern interpretation of math rock is still fairly new, still fairly underground. Um, the second reason I would give is that I think, unfortunately, it is closer to what we would consider to be jazz than actually, um, you know, uh, pop music in a sense while some math rock songs can be really catchy and really groovy um i'm talking about examples like polyphia or ttng or something like that um at the end of the day it is uh weird it's it's instrumentally complex it's vocally complex if there are vocals at all i mean when we're talking about instrumental music in general, I mean, that's not what your average listener is going to seek out. Uh, they want something they can sing along to. They want something they can dance to. Um, and that conversation, the that out those outsider characteristics, I think brings that attitude when you're talking about math rock. And to me, that's really unfortunate because uh, I can see it becoming more popular, um, especially uh, I talk about in the um, historical context section, uh, the impact of uh, social media influencers, people that hop on Instagram and just play really complex, really cool riffs um, and just with a camera in front of them and upload it. Um, I can see that kind of breaking the stigma and um, clearing out that conversation. But uh, yeah, to answer your question, it's kind of those things. Uh, it's not pop music. It's very far from it. Um, so of course, every time I'm going to bring up math rock, it's going to be like, all right, here's something a little more challenging for you guys. Um, here's something a little more, you know, off the beaten path. Um, and hopefully in the next 10 years, I don't have to say something like that. Um, yeah, from what you all know of me so far, listeners, uh, I'm the, probably the poppiest guy in here, I'd say, um, in terms of liking my four, four three, four song structure, liking my uh, three minutes or less songs. So this would be a classified a challenging episode for me. I listened to this whole thing. I listened to it uh, at work when I, cause I work at the library here. So I have a lot of downtime. I was able to listen to it, really focus on it, sink into it. And that's definitely what I'd say a lot of this music is for me is something you can sort of sink into like uh instrumental music really is that for me i am partial when i listen to instrumental music i'm partial to traditional acoustic music uh traditional acoustic guitar there's this band called north americans um that's like acoustic guitar plus synthesizer stuff real spacey pedal steel i like that as far as this is concerned i don't know i don't want to be mr negative and there were a few songs i liked but oh yeah a lot of it just I felt disconnected from. I felt like it didn't really grab me for one reason or the other. A lot of songs, not a lot, but but some of the songs were on the longer side. I noticed um, something that you have your instrumental songs and you have your vocal songs, but there were a few songs at least where you're getting like a really long instrumental passage before you ever hear a vocal. So there were songs that would go on for a minute or two and I was like, oh, this is just instrumental and then a vocal would start. Um, I don't know. It's, it's something I really want to dig because I know how much you dig it, Michael. But it's just, it's very challenging for me. Challenging is a good word. Well, can we, can we try to tackle in a little deeper on 
what made you kind of immediately repel it? Was is it the? I know you are also a musician, so right. does it does it ever stem from that place? Does it stem from? Oh, these are you know musicians that have dedicated their lives to playing guitar or piano or whatever it is in this way, and you know it's not something I would be able to play. I don't know. Does I don't think. I don't think into Ben's like psyche right now or something. I feel like I don't know. I just I want to understand because I want to know for other people. You know what I'm saying? I don't think it comes from jealousy, if that's what you're saying. No, Um, I'm I'm very impressed. I think that I feel the same way about a fair amount of this genre that I feel about '80s shred guitar. (laughs) Is like that's that's the parallel I draw in my brain because I'm very impressed by a lot of it and the technical playing and the proficiency and the way that these people play that I could never ever bring my hands to do. However, that's really the big thing that it is. It's very impressive. It's something that's really impressive. It's something that I would like to like, and it's something that bores me. <laughs> so, you know, and actually it's really interesting because that's something I, you know, and that that's kind of like my one, if we're talking about like the, especially the instrumental side of things, I think that's where some of my drawbacks come in with the genre. And quite frankly, I mean, this, this is, this could be the case of a lot of like, you know, instrumentals, you know, you know like I said earlier, I'm the punk guy. And this, this is kind of how I think about it. Um, you know, punk is a very simple genre. You could not get much more simple than punk music. It is mm-hmm. a handful of chords, blocky you know song structures you know you're not in very short you're not it doesn't get less complicated than that however punk is still a very popular genre i still love the genre and i think one of the things that draws me to it is the passion the gusto the the absolute energy that throw themselves behind there i i don't i don't know if it's stated enough that you don't have to be a technically gifted musician to make a piece of music work I don't think you do. And I think something like the Ramones proves that in spades. New York Dolls proves that in spades. You can make something captivating and not have it be technically proficient. Um, you know, even even like, you know, even like I mentioned earlier, Van Halen, a lot of technically talented guys there, David Lee Roth as a singer is not one of them. He's not very good. However, he's a very charismatic performer and that's able to carry him and I think the band forward. Something like math rock, it is all about the technicality in a lot of cases. And while it is again, very impressive, I think some of these instrumentals, not all of it, I'm just saying certain bands kind of, I think Sean, I don't know how you say the band, Sean, is that how you say it, Michael? Yeah. Yep. I think they're, they're I think they're kind of one of the ones, especially the ones that use like really clean guitar tones, you know, just the last space for the notes. It it almost feels like, oh, I'm just noodling around and then there's nothing else to it. I mean, it's very impressive, but I don't feel like the, that passion in the music that I hear. And, you know, some even a lot of these other songs that are in the playlist. I didn't hear, you know, something like something I can gravitate to, something I can connect to. And here's the thing, instrumentals can do that. They can be very emotionally powerful songs. I mean, Rush wrote um, Red Barachetta. Did I say that right? I always mispronounce that, that song name right. But There's it's like- a to point to you too. I mean, like YYZ too. Is yeah, good. you know, it, but even I, I bring up Red Barachetta because that song is like a nine part like story suite in it. And it's supposed to be, it's all instrumental. Like, and you know, especially with a genre that doesn't feature lyric or story as heavy and not saying it needs to. I'm just saying sometimes it got to a point where it's like, okay, you guys are just kind of um, 
be just showing off your talents, not really doing much else with it. And for granted, for some people, that's all they need. I completely understand. I mean, this is, again, some really impressive music. I liked a lot of what I heard. I, I guess I just, when I hear Ben say that kind of stuff, I, I can, I know where he's coming from. I kind of felt some of that sometimes too, where it's like hard for me to like connect with that music at times. Well, how about you guys share some stuff that you did like, if there yes. are, uh, was, and, and get some music playing here too. Yes, I was going to next say, you know, I sound negative. I'm not totally negative on this stuff, though. What I really like is when this technical proficiency and some of these elements are taken and subgenred and taken out of the genre and applied to other things. That's definitely what my song is. I really need to talk to you about this song, Michael, because I have no idea how this fits the, the app at all. But I'm excited to hear about it. I will play a little bit of my song, which is a little liar by Sleepy Dog. how is this in this episode michael explain i will um i will sleepy dog is an artist i found by just perusing youtube um because like i said a lot of these younger math rock uh talents are also figures on social media and i found this guy um just kind of teaching how to play one of his songs called screamers which is a lot more traditional math rock but I wanted to put this song in there, Little Liar, specifically to show you that math rock musicians don't always stick to the formula or stick to, um, you know, what is traditionally conceived as like tappy guitar and weird polyrhythms and stuff like that. A lot of them are just good at making songs in general, um, good with tone, good with vocals, good with driving you forward. And I think Little Liar is a good example of that. Um, as just like a, a really nice, aggressive, um, driving song. Um, I would encourage you to listen to more of Sleepy Dog stuff because it doesn't always sound like that. But it, I also put that in there to show some, uh, con some connection with uh, modern emo and stuff like that. Because you mentioned, Ben, a lot of the songs that you enjoyed were when math rock gets merged with something else, which is often the case usually i mean the most common example is american football it gets merged with indie emo and then with the math rock tinges on top of it and a lot of the cases that's where people start so you actually kind of did what i predicted you to do which is start at a place where math rock is merged with something else that's why i put it in there yeah definitely i mean i loved that that song that's that's the big standout for me 
And the other one, um, there's like a real synthy song on this playlist too. And that's sort of the same thing. I, I was even more confused as to how that fit this at all. You're talking about the Holy Fuck song. Yes. Yes. Uh, Holy Fuck is traditionally perceived as a math rock band, but also merges it with uh, electronica. And that was another example of math rock getting merged with something else. And that was purely in the case of, um, you know, time signatures, polyrhythms, all those terms you would hear used in describing math rock, um, but put into a different context where it's actually not guitar playing or crazy drumming or crazy piano playing, but it's actually just coming back to synthesizers or, um, you know, pure electronic music, pure, pure production. Um, so that was another example. It's math rock adjacent, if you will. Interesting. Yeah, there were, there were a couple songs in here. I was like, oh, this isn't all that crazy, you know, proficiency that we heard. I was like, how is this in math rock? That one being in particular. Um, but if you are talking about, you know, something that is very technically proficient and genres it crosses over, it relates to, um, you know, I know there's a lot of like early, you know, um, uh, origins that it has from it from you know artists like black flag and steve albini and to you know genres like no wave and even midwest in indie later on but uh one genre that i that you know i always kind of kept coming back in my head was progressive music progressive rock progressive metal you know that that that's something that really fascinated me in fact actually when i was like kind of researching just the initial like definition of math rock you know a lot of you know technical proficiency, a lot of different changing time signatures throughout a song. A song that immediately came in my head was The Trees by Rush, you know, which I believe employed three different time signatures, 5-4, and I want to say 5-8, I don't remember which particular, but there were, there are a lot of different time signatures time signatures in that song it, it's a very it's a pretty technically proficient song if you go back and listen to it as is a lot of rush songs in, in general really so the the question i have for you michael is what is the where does prog rock stop and math rock begin what are the main differences between those two genres i think prog rock laid the foundation when it comes to like you're talking about the music theory stuff Math rock comes in when math rock comes in when it's it starts more about you know what this is this is hard to describe because math rock at the end of the day is a form of prog rock, mm-hmm. a form of post rock. Um, I think it starts um, when it starts getting mixed with other genres, when it starts taking influences from things outside of just rock and roll um, when it starts taking influence from emo and underground punk and becomes a little more emotional. Um, I think when, when the instruments serve more than just to progress the story, but actually just tries to take a hold of you emotionally. um, I think that's where math rock starts. Um, A lot of people would point to Don Calbro as the pioneers, the seminal influences of math rock in its traditional form. And a lot of those songs are just laying on guitar and instrumental tracks on one another and basically building this grandiose uh, kind of like almost cinematic um, build to this uh, overall climax. Um, It's a really hard question you're you're posing here. And I think um, the, 
line never really got drawn. It, like I said, math rock is just a genre of prog. So. Well, well, here's one difference that I think you might be able to draw. And tell me if you agree with this. It might be the lyrics, because from my understanding, the lyrics are, in, in, in most cases, kind of an afterthought. In fact, a lot of these songs don't even have lyrics, don't right. even have vocals. Um, that, but when you look, going back and look at bands like Rush or King Crimson, you know, there were large story arcs within their songs. Like, I hate to keep, I, I hate to keep bringing up Rush, but you just look at it. They would have, like, uh, albums joined together by two tracks, like, at the end and start of each one, you know, like, they're part one, part two, the Cygnus uh, series, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So do you think that that might be kind of, uh, you know, um, a difference between the two? While both did favor your know, live technical proficiency, Prague a lot of times seems to also want to tell stories while Bath seems to want to just kind of improvise and kind of free throw like jazz. Yeah, you're, you're, you're touching on some important stuff where I was saying earlier, math rock starts to diverge more into the um, definition of jazz rather than pop music. Because while all that Prague stuff did utilize some of those core concepts that math rock has, it still was at the goal at the end of the day to make a interesting pop song um, most of the time to tell a story mm -hmm. with where yes, math rock is kind of trying to see how far it can go. It's putting experimentation at the forefront. Let's talk. Okay. Let's do that. Yeah. Let's that it's, it's putting experimentation at the forefront rather than uh, making a pop song. Uh, I do want to end this discussion of prog and math real quick. And I know I talked to you a bit about this earlier, Michael, but I think you really, really need to check out the band, the Mars Volta. Um, for those who don't know the Mars Volta, um, I think a couple of members from at the drive-in after that band broke up in the two thousands, they formed the Mars Volta. If you know, at the drive-in, you know, there's this crazy mid, you know, emo post hardcore band, really great. But they completely changed up from the Mars Volta. They went for this insanely technical progressive rock band in the early 2000s. And I was surprised that, like, because I didn't see them, like, on your list. And I was doing some research, and they popped it every now and again. It's like, actually, this makes sense. I mean, I, know, I don't think people technically put the Mars Volta in math rock. But they have a lot of they, they have a lot of crazy time signatures, a lot of angular rhythms and just these just crazy sounds like there's so much drumming. In fact, actually, I think uh, one of their tracks, I don't remember which one I read somewhere. I don't know how true this is. I had like a twenty nine eighteen time signature. If that's the case, that is insane. So and at the same time, though, they have a lot of melodies, they have a lot of hooks, but they also stop and start you know, a lot from like different like musical ideas, which is again, something math rock does a lot. So if there is a band that sits right on that line between progressive rock and math rock, I think it's the Mars Volta. So for, for you, Michael, and for anyone else listening at home, I don't, I'm not like a super huge expert on them, but I, I was like kind of listening to them um, kind of in preparation for this episode. And I think they fit right in there. So I just want to put that out there, Michael, you should listen to the Mars Volta. <laughs> I already gave him a follow. All right, here we go. So uh, where do you want to go from here, Michael? What, what do you want us to talk haven't about? haven't given here? your pick yet. Oh, okay. So we want to talk about what I liked. Uh, again, like, uh, and, you know, maybe we should post the whole playlist, not just what we play here, but just the whole playlist you gave us, Michael, to kind of preparation so people can have a better understanding of what we listen to. But, you know, man, there, there was quite a bit. I actually have this all marked down on the notebook and how I enjoyed this. Um, 
Uh, I know one of my favorites that is a band that you're going to talk about here in just a bit. You're going to play for us, which I'm very excited to talk about. Um, I actually, when I've re-listened to Sincerely, I enjoyed them a lot more. So they were really fun. I like Black Meaty. I was confused why Slint was in here. I still kind of don't under, I know they're kind of like among the origins of math rock. I still don't know how they fit. If you want to explain that for us in a second, Michael, or maybe you already did for your history piece, but Ultimately, I think the other one that I really liked was the band called Hikes. There was a, yes, you put a song in there from them called Onset. Very twinkly, very pretty, very melodic, along with all these you know crazy drum rhythms and just just a lot, just some really strong stuff. I have a note by them somewhere. Um, yeah, I mean, was, I also found this oddly mellow, even though it had all these crazy drum beats. It was like, oh, I feel kind of relaxed, though, which is something I didn't really expect to hear from Math Rock. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it also had something I actually really liked when Math Rock does it. A lot of times they do utilize these clean guitar tones to really showcase their technical abilities, but then they'll just jump, sometimes jump right into like these heavily distorted guitars. And I really like that juxtaposition. So I think the song did that really well. And uh, I think you'll hear from this clip that we'll play for you in a second. Why'd you come back to hikes over everything else, Andrew? I don't, I mean, I, again, I think the vocals helped again. I'm not saying I didn't like a lot of these new instrumental stuff. I mean, I did, you know, and in fact, the band that you're going you're gonna to show for us in a second is an example of one that I really liked. I, but I don't know. I, I think they were presenting something different. Again, I think that mellow or mellow, hooky, melodic atmosphere with the vocals over top all these, you know, really interesting drum beats that I came to really like listening throughout this, uh, throughout the playlist. I think that's something that really st- stood out to me. Um, so, I mean, again, I don't know I have, I don't know have many, many other reasons for that. I think, you know, again, I only got like small snippets from each band, so it's hard for me to really judge them overall, but just based on all this, everything you put in there, that one was a standout because I think it was able to combine the best of pop elements with the best of math rock elements. Awesome. Yeah. And I guess we can conclude and go into another band you're talking about, because this is one of my favorite groups as the person here, who's, I guess we could consider the math rock expert, even though I haven't begun to delve into the entirety of it. um, I've, I've gone through my twinkle phases. I, I went through my American football. I went through my Don Calbro. I went through my covet and Sean and all that stuff. And now as I get older and I get more experienced in this genre, I find myself coming back to the stuff that's even harder and uh, in some ways more inaccessible for people. 
Um, but I was really surprised that Andrew enjoyed this band uh, called Hella, which is, um, here's a cool factoid for you. This was the first project of the now drummer of Death Grips. Um, I wrote about Hill. that. Oh, yeah. That surprised me. Yeah. Um, this Zach Hill is uh, a proficient blast beat drummer, but also a very just insane drumming figure um of how fast and how hard he can go and i don't think you can find a better example of it um besides maybe his solo work than on the work he did with hella um this uh the album hold your horses is uh i think a standout piece in the entire genre and while it may be intimidating to some um how much they can fit in one song uh, this is the stuff that I find myself coming back to most often. Uh, this song that Ben's going to play is called Republic of Rough and Ready. Um, and it's probably my favorite jam on this album. Yeah, well, that may be entirely or, or a little too extreme and abrasive. That's what I find myself coming back to. That's what Michael listens to on a daily basis for the most part. And yeah, it's it's weird, but it's to me, it's awesome just how they can fit in so much into one song and how it can change you and jerk you around in so many different directions and how the guitar can somehow line up with Zach Hill's crazy uh, and totally exhilarating drumming. Um, yeah. And, and it's an example of how math rock doesn't have to be twinkly and emo tinged and, uh, indie rock tinged. It can be, um, incredibly abrasive and hard and, you know, drive you in the same way to me, a really good thrash metal song would. So I'm glad you enjoyed it too, Andrew. Um, yeah, you know, you know, when we were talking about instrumentals earlier and I talked about how sometimes they couldn't really grab me because they're dismissing that something. And this is not an example of that. Like, yes, I mean, there is insane technical proficiencies. I think the note I had down for Hella was insane drumming because, uh, I mean, how else can me that? How can you not say that? That that was just bonkers. I, I that immediately drew me in and then as i listened through more of it i think i sampled another one of their songs it was called biblical what was that song biblical, biblical violence biblical violence that was it was a great one too and you know it just all this crazy attack and release that it gives you it feels like it has this slight bleak atmosphere to it it feels like it's giving you some emotion there's still something else that's drawing you in with these tracks so on top of all their crazy technical proficiencies and the fact that this is a duo as well is just insane to me so this was i was probably most impressed by this 
by this project. So I'm very happy you introduced me to this, Michael, because I really enjoyed this. Uh, we haven't heard from Ben in a while. I want to know what he has to think of this. I have I have a final question for you, Michael, after especially that uh, hike song. And it, uh, it is, would you ever use the term overkill to describe this genre? <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I think anybody could use that to describe any genre. I, I think in some respects, country music can be overkill. Um, you know, folk music can be overkill. Punk can be overkill. Um, I don't know. I know in the future, Ben, we want to do like a rocker's introduction to jazz or something like that. And I want to kind of spark your guys's mind with kind of thinking outside the box. And I hope this episode did that, but mm -hmm. uh, overkill. I think pushing the boundaries is the better phrase, at least okay. that I would use. Well, my final statement then would be my favorite math rock song is the old intro to soundtrack that Mike Lyme made. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I thought that was post-punk, not math rock. I have no idea what it was. There's math rock sections of it. Yeah, the, the, the bridge is math rock. Yeah. My goal with this episode is hopefully there's a listener out there that listened to these clips of songs and it hit a point, something in you that has not been able to get hit by traditional pop music. Um, something that you never thought was there but somehow it did something for you. Mm. And um, I'm glad Andrew enjoyed some songs. Ben, I'm glad you took something away from it, even if it's a utter disdain. But it's the elements, man. It's the elements. Yeah. yeah. Take the yes. elements out, put them elsewhere. I'll listen to we, it. We, we, you know, maybe, maybe I didn't, maybe the part that I didn't like, because it just reminded me too much of high school math, man. I don't, I don't need to relive <laughs> those days. Those were dark times. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you guys gave this a shot. We can move into recommendations now. And next week, we'll be, we will be back to the reg regularly scheduled programming. Um, or not. Maybe or we not. have something a little outside the box for that one. But we'll get to that in a second. Uh, who's up first for recommendations? I think we can let Ben go first since he can, uh, he can put us back in, the, uh, in our usual mindset. Okay. Um... Something I want to note about our recommendations first, these were pretty like spur of the moment recs that we came up with right before we started recording. And what I noticed was Michael's is a solo project of a 90s band. Mine is a solo project of a 90s band. <laughs> and Andrew's is a solo project of an 80s, 90s band. There's, well, there's two bands. One of them is a 90s band. One of them is an 80s That's band. That's true. So, there you go. So, that was happenstance, but mine, uh, as you could maybe guess, is uh, Stephen Malcolmus released a new single pretty recently. It's a B-side from his most recent album, Traditional Techniques, which is a, an acoustic album, which you may be hearing some songs from on a later date, let's just say. Um, but for now, I'm going to play this song called Julie Fucking It, uh, which is a sort of breezy, acoustic uh, love denied song i don't really know it's hard to tell what he's ever singing about but i like it a lot so here it is
must love us You know you wanna be them But you can't do that quite yet Demolish the nose at the Met That's what people come to sound check to listen to. <laughs> I, I lit a candle, by the way, for uh, the death of any chance you'd like math rock. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you Class. know what, Michael? I had a lot of fun with this stuff, so you, <laughs> still, like, you, still, you still got it with me. But uh, go ahead, Max. Sorry. We we all have things that we like and dislike, and there are many, many many things I could bring on this show that you all would hate. So I, I'm very, I'm very proud of you, Michael, for bringing this in and opening yourself up to getting flamed, which I hope I didn't fully do. Like I did to public on music last week. Exactly. We all tear each other down and uh, sometimes build each, build each other, other back, back up. up. <laughs> yeah. All right. Do you want to explain anything about this song or can we keep going? No, that's a good song. Andrew? <laughs> oh, my next? <laughs> yeah. Okay, sure. Um, so like Ben said, uh, my keeping the theme of former frontmen making of older bands making new music, uh, Bob Mould, who you all may know from uh, the legendary punk and alternative rock band from the 80s, Who's Do, and then later the alternative band Sugar from the 90s. Um, he fronted both those bands and has made lots of solo records in between all these projects. And it's pretty much what he's been focusing on since the mid nineties. Um, you may also remember, uh, our episode we did about him in season two, I want to say mm-hmm. felt like forever ago, which is still one of my favorite episodes. Cause yeah, he's kind of one of those artists I stand a bit, not going to lie. So I was of course very excited to hear that he's coming out with a new record um this year in fact i think his last album was uh 20 was only last year as well so it's a pretty quick turnaround from him so his last record being sunshine rock everyone was like "Ooh, he's in berlin he's like happy now it's a lot of sunshine even though i don't think it was as happy as everyone said it was but that's besides the point came out with a new record this year called blue hearts and oh my god it is very very political uh, if you don't like your political music i don't care this is this this is whatever I, I i love it as you can tell from our political anthems episode we did a few weeks ago which you should, you should also go listen to um but yeah it's a our country's kind of going down the toilet if you haven't noticed so uh yeah <laughs> he may be in berlin but no he's still very angry as you can tell in here he hasn't touched a lot of political stuff um throughout his career he's done at points but this is definitely his most like direct like aim at that at doing political songs. And as you could tell by the lead single on this, which was a, which was around for a while, but now you can listen to the whole record as well. Lead single being American Crisis. So Ben, would you like to play us a clip of that?
cannot believe Bob Mould is in his 60s now. It's just crazy to me. I'm excited, dude. I'm going to listen to this. If you remember from our Bob Mould episode, this was everything I wanted him to go back to is like somehow capture what he was able to do with Husker Du, but in his 60s. And uh, dude, that that's a good sign. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and listen to yeah. that. Yeah, it, the album's pretty good. I liked it more than Sunshine Rock overall, even though I did like Sunshine Rock. But there's a couple duds on there, but no, I think Bob Mould really, really came back strong with this one. So yes, go listen that to even, everyone. That even gave me some uh, early Foo Fighters vibes. See, Ooh. I like the Foo Fighters. I'm not a pretentious bastard. And, <laughs> <laughs> and to wrap that up, I have my recommendation because uh, we met up earlier in the week and started planning the rest of this season. And holy shit, we got a great season lined up for you. But um we also talked about the concept of maybe doing an all acoustic episode of uh, just songs that we love that are acoustic and, but that means fully acoustic. So songs like the one I'm about to show you are not fully acoustic. So I can't bring it on. So I'm taking this opportunity to bring it to you now. Uh, it's called Elastic uh, Sometimes off of the album Elastic Days by Jay Maskus, my favorite guitar player of all time. You know him from Dinosaur Jr. Andrew's holding up the vinyl copy. I think Whoa, this final. Yes, final. <laughs> now proving again that we are pretentious. And yes, um, I I haven't listened to this album in a while. Um, but whenever I get stressed, sad, anxious, Jay Maskus solo acoustic work just puts me in a better attitude. And this song sometimes uh, is a just awesome little ditty, and I want you all to hear it. So go ahead, Ben. You brought in something that I loved. That reminded me of, um, if we talk about music we're embarrassed about from when we were children, that reminded me of uh, Five for Fighting. <laughs> that's a... Uh, Who knows a... how to take anything you just said now? <laughs> I love Five for Fighting still. And I, will I don't even know what that, that is. And I'm it's the guy that did, uh, uh, Superman. I can't stand to fly. I don't know what you're talking about. A hundred years. Ben, I'll, I'll play it when we talk about how embarrassed we are about our yes, lives. Which is a episode we'll be doing in the future. Everyone stay tuned for that. But uh, next week, I believe, and tell me if I'm incorrect, uh, we are going to be going through our record collections. I held up a vinyl just now. And um, 
Do I have the right episode of mine, guys, by the way? You do. You do. Excellent. Yes. So what we're going to do, and I'm excited for this one. Uh, I think we're like, I think like Michael's going to go through my collection. I'm going to go through Ben's, Ben go through Michael's. However, we're, I don't know how we're going to organize it yet. But basically, one of us is going to go through one of another's uh, record collection. We're going to pick out like two or three records. Um, we'll all listen to them and talk, kind of talk about it. It's going to be kind of like a random thing. We're going to see what we pull out. Maybe we'll pull out something uh, embarrassing in our record collection we don't want others to know about. Maybe we'll pull out a hidden gem we have yet to, we have yet to talk about in this episode. I mean, this podcast. But what I can say is I know I'm very excited for that one, as you should be. And uh, always tune in to see what the next episode of Soundcheck is. Yep. The coolest part of that episode, too, is if we can figure it out and get it to work, all the music you will hear will be played from vinyl. Yeah. We can have an open discussion of does vinyl sound better? And, uh, you know, all three of us have expansive record collections. So I think you already know our answer, but you can judge for yourself. I, I desperately hope that that happens. And I really don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but let's just say there's a possibility of improved mic sound quality. So maybe Zoom will be in the past. Ooh, I don't know. Don't want to spoil know. it. All right. Let's end this Anyways, episode. No matter what happens, it's always one guarantee and soundtrack. And that's how we end it, my friends. Good, Good night, night, Detroit. Two plus two is on memory.